Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Debtor Dennis Maller, speak with artists and entertainers about their day job. And this is another incident where that's not it. Well, okay. Uh, instead of day jobs, I am speaking with uh, comedian Joel Kim Booster uh, about workout routines and some other things, festivals, comedy, uh, growing up and stuff like that. But uh, there, all right. So this is what happened. Uh, all right. First and foremost, this is another uh, interview. The uh, podcast episode brought it out about my uh, articles and interviews for the Dig Boston newspaper. Uh, Joel Kim will be at Laugh Boston, headlining Laugh Boston, June twenty first, twenty second, and twenty third. For tickets, go to laughboston.com uh, or check one of the links in the description. Uh, so I had the opportunity to interview him, and what had happened was I went out for a hike in the middle of the woods, uh, and I was late to the interview because I. Got lost in the middle of the woods. So <laughs> his publicist is calling me or texting me, and I'm driving and trying to voice text back, and I'm yelling at Siri, and I'm like, I'm on my way. Uh, and I also didn't have enough time to do a lot of prep. I did a little bit prior to it, and I expected to do some before the phone call, and I didn't have that opportunity. So as I'm getting there and I'm getting set up because I'm not even like, like, like I'm frantic, and I'm I decide to just like. St- Ask him about working out, like as a filler to give my brain some time to to figure out what's going on. And I was just like, so uh, you know, since I just came from my workout, is uh, working out uh, important to you? And I expected him just to go, oh no, I hate it. And then we can lament about how much exercise sucks. Uh, that is not what happened. No, he uh, he loves uh, lifting weights and exercising, and we talk extensively about it, which you will hear. Uh, and I think it's a good, fun, interesting conversation. He goes into his routines and some of the things that, uh, some funny stories and, you know, um, what it means to him, which is an important thing. And we talk about other things. So if you're a workout, uh, phobe, don't worry. It's not the entire podcast. It's just a brief, but it's good. I think it's interesting. I think it's something, uh, abnormal, um, but still interesting. It's something that somebody, and you'll see why uh, I say this sentence. It's something that I don't think anyone ever else has asked him about in an interview, and it's something that I think got to um, show who he is and and what he's about as a person. So uh, it's going to be fun. It's a fun interview. I enjoyed it. Um, if you're in the Boston area, please go see Joel Kim Booster at Laugh Boston, June 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. One show, one show, and two shows on Saturday. Uh, links in the description, like I said earlier, which if you case you already forgot it or you skip past it and you land here. By the way, if you came here, yeah, no, there's no periods when I talk. I just keep going. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, thanks so much. I appreciate you coming here from uh, Dig Boston um, because we're tagging at the bottom. Listen to the full unedited interview right here. Uh, normally on the show, I speak with not only comedians, but other artists, entertainers um, about what they do to make a living, which they, we will return to that in the next podcast, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I got a local friend of mine who I've been wanting to sit down and talk with, and what I'm doing there is I'm reverse engineering it. What I've been doing uh, as uh, as to create content for the podcast and to satisfy my obligations to the newspaper, and by obligation I means the shit I got to do so they'll pay me, is <laughs> do these inter- – not do these. I mean I'm, I choose who I interview. Uh, so I do these interviews to write these uh, articles for them, and then I've been asking the publicist uh, that represents them if it's okay that I release the phone call as a podcast. Some have been no, some have been yes. This is a yes, clearly. I don't want to be sued because uh, I have nothing to, to offer. <laughs> <laughs> I will just go to jail. They'll sue me and, go, and I'll go to jail. And I'll work in a dump yard for $5 a day. Anyway, uh, that sounded all too real because it is. All right, so here's the point. I would take the interviews meant for the newspaper, 
and then I would send them out as a podcast. Um, hopefully, in the next episode or two, what I did is I did the opposite. I recorded the podcast the way that I normally do, with a normal focus, and I'm going to try to turn that into an article. So I want to see if I can uh, do that. I'm challenging myself as a writer and journalist there. Uh, sorry, this is a podcast. You did not see my finger quotes. Uh, <laughs> I talk extensively about how the, I'm not good at what I'm doing and uh, how this is all a sham. But uh, I do take this seriously. And, uh, you know, it's something that I'm glad uh, Dig Boston approached me about because it's something that I've done, been wanting to do, and trying to do. It's combination of a lot of things though and it brings uh some legit legitimacy to my career i think Alrighty. so again if you came here for the first time thanks for listening i appreciate it if you enjoy what you hear please do me a favor head over to however you found this uh itunes stitcher google play and leave a review Throw some uh, likes up in there or stores or whatever, because what it will do is it, uh, if you came here because you're a fan of Joel Kim Booster or somebody else, uh, if you share this and, and leave reviews, it will actually help the aggregators that share podcasts with people and recommend podcasts to people. It'll actually share this podcast with more people. So more listeners, more exposure for your people that you for the people that you came here to enjoy. And, you know, yeah, for me, I mean, that's a side effect of it. I, I'm doing this. I don't want to sound weirdly altruistic and say, oh, I'm just doing this podcast for them. But uh, it's the interesting artist that I want to showcase on here. It's not about me. If I could get somebody else to host this thing and who is good at it and would do it, I'd hand it over. Probably not. Actually, I'm a control freak. A little bit. Not really. But uh, if I wanted somebody, if there was somebody else who could do it and I could produce it or vice versa or whatever, I would totally hand the reins over. Um but this is the subject that I chose, and it's something that brings me joy. So there it is. Uh, speaking of joy, that's just a couple of letters away from Joel. And speaking of Joel, Joel Kim Booster. That was, oh, my God, that was so very Rodgers and Hammerstein. Oh, that was like, you guys are playing pool. And that's that's with P, and that rhymes with T, and that stands for trouble. This town's got trouble, and lots of it. Okay. I've been talking a lot about musicals recently uh, and theater because I have a couple things coming up myself. Uh, real quick, one of them is uh, All the Great Books Abridged, which is a comedic play that I am starring in uh, Saturday, June 23rd at the Regent Underground Theater in Arlington, Massachusetts. Tickets are $15, and you can find information at theregenttheater.com. Theater spelled the British way, and that means T-R-E at the end, or just go to my website that you're currently already on, deaderdennis.com, links in the description. Uh, information is there as well. And Monday, June 25th, free comedy show, Capo in South Boston. I will be on it. Kendra Lansbury will be on it. Um, Boston comedy finalist Zachary Brazau will be on it, and I think Dan Crown and somebody else, uh, all hosted by the funny Will Noonan. So should be a good time, great food, free comedy. Be there June 25th. 8 p.m. Uh, and for other shows and information on everything, you can go to deadairdennis.com, D-E-A-D-D-E-N-N-I-S, duck'em. Uh, thank you for listening if you're new. Thank you for returning if you're not new. And please enjoy this episode with comedian and gym rat, Joel Kim Booster. Hello? Hi, mate. Speak to Mr. Joel Kim Booster, please. Yeah, this is Tim. Hi, Mr. Booster. It is uh, Dennis from Dig Boston. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? All right, good. Sorry, I'm uh, a little late. <laughs> My uh, workout at the gym got uh, ran a little bit over, and I am uh, I'm very much out of breath because I'm very fat. No, uh, no worries. No worries. <laughs> so, 
You know, let's ask that. What's the first question uh, since we're on the subject? Uh, as a comedian who's on the road, is uh, do you work out and is working out important to you? Um, yeah, it's like very important to me. I oh, usually I <laughs> do try and find it's one of my like two favorite things to do um, to sort of like get a sense of a town is A, I like to go and to a gym, try and find like a non chain gym, like a um, somewhere wherever I am and work out there while I'm there. And also, uh, usually I like to try and find like the closest gay bar um, and sit there <laughs> by myself in the town. <laughs> okay. Especially That's... if it's a small town. Especially if it's a town like, say, where I am right now in Murfreesboro, Ten- uh, Tennessee. That's like always the gems of um, gay bars are always in this smaller town. Okay, so is that the 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 seediest, dirtiest gay bars are the ones that are in Just small like, towns? Yeah, not I wouldn't say seedy and and or dirty, but like when you are I meant in, in a positive a way. Town, <laughs> yeah, when you're in a smaller town, like you know places out, you know in Maine or in Indiana, something like that. Like there's usually like one gay bar, like in five counties, and so there's like a real sense of community that sort of gets missed when you're in a larger city. Cause there's so many gay bars and so many like different, um, you know, sort of subgroups within the gay community. And so it's really nice to like go to these small towns and like find these gay bars where it is like the hub, the one hub of activity in a, you know, a hundred mile radius that people sort of flock to and find, um, you know, that community to it makes me feel like I'm in the seventies, you know? Yeah, so basically, you you want to find the one that uh, is making up for the the square footage that, or the square square mileage that the regular city would have with more of them. Does that make sense? You're fitting yeah, what yeah. should be five gay bars into one because there's not. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, it's it's concentrated gay barness. Okay, exactly. <laughs> All right, I didn't think the word gay was going to pop up this many times this early in the interview, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want it open with, so you're gay? Tell me about I didn't want to be <laughs> right. Sally I didn't want to be 1987 Sally Jaffe, Jesse Raphael, so. No, no, no. Yeah, I brought I brought it there. Yes. Let the record show that I'm the one who brought it up first. <laughs> uh, I, I will have to make sure I print it that way. Uh, so you're in Tennessee right now. Are you doing a show in Tennessee or is it just another reason you're in Tennessee? Yeah, I'm I, I'm performing at the Bonnaroo Music Festival. Oh, is that this weekend? They have two little, yeah. They have two little uh, comedy tents set up for us as well. So, is this um, your? We are sort of alternative programming. Uh, now, is this your first time at Bonnaroo or at doing comedy at a large festival? Mm, this is definitely not my first time doing it at a large festival. This is my first time doing it at Bonnaroo. Okay, what's the the vibe? Because you hear stories. I've th- I do some small outdoor comedy shows, uh-huh. uh, and there's a different vibe than in a club or in a bar. Um, doing oh, sure. a giant festival show like Bonnaroo, or the ones you've done before, uh, how's the vibe different than doing a club? In your well, I mean, it's definitely less intimate. Um, and the thing is about like doing specifically a music festival as opposed to a large comedy festival like JFL or Clusterfest or Sketchfest or something like that is that those kind of festivals, you know, like generally speaking, a lot of people have come out to see. Um, they'll come to my show because they want to see me specifically. And at music festivals, and that's, and that's the same at a club too, but at music festivals, it's, um, it's a lot more of like proving why they're taking a break from the main attraction of the festival to come and see this comedy show. 
Um, so it's it's usually you're you're meeting a lot of people who a have no fucking clue who you are, and b probably aren't super well versed in what you know watching a comedy show is. So there's a, or, or even what stand up comedy is. So there's a little bit of like a barrier there that you have to get past. That's a little bit more challenging in some ways at a music festival like this or Outside Lands or War Tour or anything like that to sort of prove uh, that you're worth seeing. That's a great answer. Um, okay. Uh, let me go back to workouts since I, uh, I wrote a bu- as I was running in here on my notepad, I just wrote a bunch of workout questions. And the only question I really want to, is there a particular, cause you, uh, you had mentioned it's very important to you. Um, is there a particular regiment or a particular workout thing that you find, uh, is particularly good for you? Yeah. Um, so I do just a pretty standard push pull leg routine, like split. Um, focusing on like major lifts, like I do, you know, it, all of my workouts are built around a squat, a bench, or a deadlift, um, and then sort of hitting accessory work um, after I finish those. Um, so yeah, that's like pretty much the main focus for me um, for the last like, couple of years. I am um, uh, I'm an asthmatic, so I rarely do cardio, and I will sometimes like do a yoga class to sort of like um you know stay flexible and and not stiff and stuff like that but that's um mostly it so it it's it, that's tough because like sometimes if i'm in a scenario where there are no gyms within like uh you know a 50 mile radius i have to use a hotel gym which is like sort of famously um not uh super uh helpful if you're doing if you're looking to do like major lifts, like usually the dumbbells will go up like, you know, to 55 maybe, and that's it. And so it's a little bit more of like figuring out how to adjust your workouts for that sort of environment. But yeah, that's what I usually focus on. Okay. Um, so being asthmatic, uh, you don't do cardio, you don't do yoga. Do you, is there ever that situation where you're doing something and you're breathing entirely? I've never had asthma. So all I know is, you know, the one kid in school who has it, and he has an inhaler. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, with uh, do you is there ever there is there ever been that situation where you're just you know you're doing the workout and you're breathing entirely too hard, and someone like gives you that look like newbie, or they they make a a, a comment about breathing heavily, Dwight, and you're just like, look, I'm asthmatic. <laughs> or is there a good? You know what? I've never gotten that. Um, I've never. I rarely get super out of breath in my workouts because it's mostly you know, um, lifting. So it's not super taxing on my lungs or anything like that. Sometimes if I'm working with a trainer and I'm doing like super high density, like circuit work or something like that, like I usually will have my inhaler on hand because that will probably be as close to cardio as I'll get. But, um, no, people are generally like, um, I think I, I, uh, I don't ever, I I mean, I'm whenever I get to that place of, of breathing heavy or whatever, it's because I'm clearly doing like, pretty intense workout so i don't get a, a ton of judgment and i don't feel a lot of like i'm not usually focused on that like i puff on the inhaler sometimes at the gym and i like truly don't care who sees or who thinks it's like weird because it's like this is why we're all here you know yeah. like to do this and i'm you know just helping myself along I, so i haven't if, if people have uh shot me looks i have not noticed um and I try, it's like one of the rare moments in my life at the gym where I like am truly pretty like tunnel vision about like uh, other strangers noticing what I'm doing or what I'm wearing. 
Okay. Cause... I've been trapped under I've been trapped under a bench press so many times in my life that uh, <laughs> I I think I'm immune to embarrassment at the gym. <laughs> yeah. Just you fell off of it, or you dropped the weights on yourself? No, no, no. I've just been you know uh, last set, last rep, like just like can't get that bar up, and it's just sort of sitting, chilling on my chest. You know, <laughs> waiting for someone to notice long enough for me to like, you know, help me give me a spot so I can get the bar off my chest. It's um, it's not always great, and sometimes there aren't people around, and you sort of have to like tip it over. I should be using like a the clip to keep the weights on. That makes it easier, but I just have to dump the weight off sometimes, like a real amateur. Oh, that's that's that. I've I've dropped weights on my chest. I was doing a bench press once and listening to the Kathleen Madigan and laughed so hard I dropped it right on my chest. Uh, Lucky it was like. That I, I have like done. Nothing, a, but. I've been doing. Uh, one time, I did a skull. I was doing like skull crusher, uh, like with for my triceps and just like lifting that weight above my face and laughed so hard at. Um, I uh, how did this get made? It was like something either Jun <laughs> and Rayfield or Jason Manzuka said that made me drop the weight right on my face, and it was a very painful welt uh, on my forehead for many weeks. I mean, if you're a comedian and someone hurts themselves working out listening to yourself, it's got to be the biggest compliment, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I hope I've caused any number of, of workout injuries um, through my either my album or my, my appearances on many podcasts. So <laughs> I, I can only dream that someone has injured themselves laughing at something I said. Uh, are you a podcast or a music workout listener? Um, you know, weirdly... Um, I am a, a nothing with uh, listen workout person now. Um, I usually like I I find that I like um, I can get through everything quicker and I think uh, shorter breaks if I'm not listening to anything but whatever crap the the gym is playing and sort of like absorbing you know everything around me. I was a pretty even split before I started. I moved out to LA, but um, I find that I'm pretty like good about not listening to anything right now uh, okay let's let's switch gears or i guess i don't know it's not switching gears because oh, yeah it's switching gears uh, that was gonna be a bad joke in there but uh relationships uh as a man who's on the road a lot is that uh is it difficult i don't know if this is gonna be a hack question because nobody ever interviews me for my comedy or my relationships <laughs> uh is it for you, uh, a, a, both a man and a gay man, is it difficult uh, maintaining a relationship on the road? Is it better maintaining smaller relationships on the road for you? Wow. Do you find it I, different um, than it, your uh, sh- your straight comedian friends? You know, I I um I haven't been in a relationship in so long mm-hmm. that and and I think it's it's definitely harder. I mean, for me at this to to start a relationship. With my schedule, I mean, I'm gone, <clears throat> like, every two weekends, and then, you know, it's tough, especially when you are based in a major city. People's attention spans, you know, are short, and there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of options for them, and if you're not there, and you're not putting in the work, you know, then uh, they'll sort of, you know, move elsewhere, and I found that's happened to me a lot. I mean, it definitely kept me from getting into relationships, I think, is because because of the traveling schedule. Um but, you know, that's, I think, why a lot of my straight comedian friends are dating other comedians. I think because you have to find somebody who understands and gets the schedule and gets the lifestyle. Um, because, you know, even when I am in L.A., 
uh, you know, five out of seven nights in my uh, in LA are busy. I'm busy with shows. And you know, when I was in New York, it was seven out of seven nights I was busy with shows, yeah. and I had to make a real effort to like not book a show, which is really hard. I mean, for me, I, uh, I mean, I am now, which is so hard to vocalize. It's so hard to say that out loud. Um, you're, you're when I was what younger, now? it was less of a concern. I'm sorry, can you? Uh, I didn't. There was a problem with the phone line, so I didn't actually. I don't want to make you have to say the thing over <laughs> again that makes you embarrassed. Uh, I can't but I didn't you're catch it. Me I'm sorry. Again. I want to make sure that I have it for the recording. You're 30. Yeah. Oh, 30. Oh, oh, that's it. I thought it was something. uh, Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. You're 30. Okay. Fair enough. It's a little bit more. What I mean to say is that it's a little bit more present in my mind now that like uh, uh, sort of had a serious long-term relationship um, in my 20s. I never did because I was pretty focused on doing this. You know, I've always been like hyper-focused on career stuff and uh, comedy, especially, I think, requires a lot of focus and a lot of time um, put in. And, you know, when I was in my early 20s, it was like, I got to hit these open mics. I got to do, I got to be hanging out. I got to be making these connections. And now, you know, that I've done that, you know, you sort of think when you're in your, when you're starting out that like eventually it'll get easier and you'll have more time. And it's uh, the complete opposite of the case. And now I'm just, you know, not only busy, but out of the, you know, um, the city where I'm living. So it's, it is harder to, to forge those relationships, and unfortunately, unlike my straight counterparts, I there aren't a lot of us to choose yeah. from. If I wanted to date another comedian, you know, there's only you know twenty some that I can choose from right now. Twenty? I, I thought it was like you and Ant, and that's about it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there's a ton of us right now. Yeah. I think it's a really good time. Um, well, I mean, here in Boston, we have a, we have a between uh, uh, gay men and lesbian and um, uh, between the whole LGBT, QVC, R2D2 spectrum here in Boston, we probably have two dozen uh, performing comedians in that spectrum, which is I would yeah. say is a lot for any one city, but across the board, I think it's that's very no, yeah, definitely, that's yeah. That's, that's I mean, that's way more than when I was coming up in Chicago. Um, I mean, obviously in New York, there was a time that, uh, and it re- I, that's where I really started to meet, you know, other gay comedians, but yeah, so I don't really have that option available to me, nor do, it, do I, I'm sort of glad, I, I don't understand people who can date other comedians, it seems like uh, a nightmare to me, yeah, especially uh, the breakup, I mean, just like having to hear jokes written about your relationship seems like, uh, you know, the fifth circle of hell to me. Uh, yeah, no, it's, I, I'm on the same page. Can't put my uh, pen in the company ink. Um, yeah. So the um, do you find yourself doing more gearing towards more of um, uh, app-based dating and short relationships? Um, like yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, I, I'm on 17 different dating apps. <laughs> and, oh, my God. You know. I didn't even uh, know there was 17 different dating apps. There's tons. There's tons. Um but, I didn't know there was uh, ten. I, am, uh... <laughs> I know there's Tinder where yeah. I send a girl a dick pic, and I know there's Bumble where the, uh, if I match with a woman, she has to send me a dick pic first. So right, right, okay. all right. Sorry, I shouldn't um, do material. But on the yeah, phone. no, I, I am, uh, I'm on all the apps. I especially like it. Um, you know, it's, it's useful for when you're traveling too, especially like I said, these small towns. Like if I'm in a place without a gay bar, like Grinder is sort of the de facto alternative there in terms of like meeting guys in that in a in a city and um yeah i mean i am i'm a traditional road dog 
uh, comedian in that I uh, love to uh, uh, meet guys in the cities that I'm in and then leave and never see them ever again, just disappear into the mist. So that is um, a familiar trope, I think, for our profession. Yeah, setting up a port in every city. Um, yeah, exactly. The uh, do you, uh, so you uh, unlike a lot of comedians, do you feel that you have a open, unawkward esque personality when it comes to meeting people, or has comedy helped you with um, that? I don't. I don't necessarily think it depends on like the person. It depends on the setup. I think a lot of people actually get a little disappointed when they meet me uh, after a show because obviously, like. I am uh, a very close approximation of who I am on stage, but it is uh, much more blown out. It's much, it's like, it is a much uh, sort of exaggerated, almost caricature of who I actually am. And it's only, you know, 30% of my inner life um, that they're seeing on stage. And I think people, because my comedy is very um, personal and very, um, like I'm very honest about a lot of aspects of my life on stage. I think people have a sense of familiarity with me off stage that um, makes me uncomfortable sometimes, um, you know, because they're not really getting to know me on stage. They're getting to know a very curated side of me. And I'm actually like, uh, not I wouldn't say awkward, but I am a little bit more quiet when I first meet somebody. I am a little bit more introverted than I think people assume, um, especially in big social situations. So I think... Um, you know, I, I, I definitely don't think I'm more or less awkward. I think I'm probably on the average of people uh, of meeting people after shows and being awkward in social situations as a normal comedian. But, um, yeah. Uh, would you, if you were at a party by yourself, would you be? Would you have the ability to walk up and make conversation with just any person in in, in at the party for the most part? Um. No, actually, I, okay. I, I probably I, I would probably make two, but I the, the chances of me going to a party by myself where I don't know anybody is so slim that feels like something I would never ever ever want to do. Um, that I um, it's hard for me to imagine doing that. I, I've definitely been in situations. Listen, if I have to network, if it's like an industry thing, then yes, I will do that because again, like I am um, a career obsessed uh, psychopath. So I will do it. I will force myself to do it in those situations. Like if I'm at a festival situation where I don't really know any other comedians, but if it's like a social thing, especially if it's like other gay people, uh, the chances are so, so slim that I will feel comfortable going to that party and talking to strangers by myself. So probably not. Um, but yeah, that sounds about the average. And the reason I ask it is I'm, I, I, I don't fall in that average. I have no problem walking up to somebody and just starting a conversation whether I want to or not sometimes. But uh, I can also be introverted and not want to talk to people, but I still have that ability um, to go and talk to people if I'm all by myself. I do a lot of things by myself because, well, let's face it, I have a, a sparkling personality, I said with finger quotes. <laughs> so I find it interesting uh, when I can find another comedian or performer who has the ability to also not be awkward and just go out and talk to people. And I think it's even more interesting finding the people who started out awkward and then learned almost as if it's a parlor trick, the art of having conversation with strangers because they perform or because they do stand up, which you kind of sound like that. I, I, I would, I would imagine. Is that yeah. sound similar? I mean, the thing is, is like I talked crowd work is one of my, is a big part of my longer sets. Like when I'm headlining, 
I, you know, a, a good chunk of it is usually spent me, you know, with me talking to the audience and riffing on, you know, what they're, they're saying. And that is like such a specific, I think people expect because I'm so free with like talking to people doing crowd work that I, that's how I'd be at a party, but there's such a specific power dynamic when I'm on stage and I have the mic and I'm selecting the people that I want to speak to and they sort of are forced to talk to me. Otherwise they're, you know, I, um, you know, will make things worse for them. So I think, um, that I think is the, the key. I often feel very, um, especially if people don't know who I, you know, know that I am or what I do. Like there is a sense as a comedian where you're always sort of having to prove, like, no, 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 I'm not like a, a hobbyist. I this is my this is the living that I make, and <laughs> it's like that's especially in LA at parties. That is constantly sort of the battle that you're fighting of being like. Oh yeah, I'm a comedian, and then having to prove that you know, no, I'm not also a waiter. I am also, I am. That's what I'm doing. You know, and similar. And yeah, I, I, I feel you on that. I, I don't know if you know who Steve Sweeney is, but he here in Boston, he's a big time comedian, national guy, and I opened up for him at some other thing that was comedy. I was hosting it, and I go to the comedy, asked me, goes, how long have you been doing comedy? I was like seven years, and he goes, oh really? I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm not a schmuck that they just pulled off the street. I've been doing this a while. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I feel you on that when you're like, oh, I do. Oh, I'm a stand-up. Okay, so where do you wait tables, or where do you do? Wh- which Starbucks right. do you work at? So I understand you on that. Um, and let's go back to young Joel Kim Booster and say, what was it uh, that made you gear toward? I feel like this is a standard question I should ask everybody, but let's ask you. Uh, what is uh, what is it that skewed uh, a young Joel Kim Booster to stand-up comedy? You know, um, I never had dreams or aspirations to be a comedian when I was growing up. It wasn't until probably after college even that I, I thought like uh, it was something that I uh, had to offer to the world. I think, you know, I've always been funny uh, or people have told me that I've been funny. I've always liked to make people laugh. And I think, you know, it's a standard, it's a pretty standard um, reason why. I mean, growing up, in a town where you're different, I, you know, whether that be because I'm Asian or, you know, later Wait, when you're I came what? out and I was gay as, <laughs> as, a, as a gay high school student, it, it becomes a defense mechanism, I think, to sort of deflect from the fact that you're different and to sort of use it um, in a way that sort of makes people socially comfortable around you. And so I think, like, most kids who are different like that, um, uh, a lot of them develop that. And I think... Um, you know, that's where a lot of my comedic instincts come from is, is developing that instinct as a child and to try to deflect away from it. And it wasn't until, you know, I was after college and seeing comedians like Tignataro and Kamel and other people who sort of, uh, you know, felt like it was more for me at that point. Because when I was in high school, you know, I, I love Dane Cook and I've worked with him since and... He is a great comedian, um, but there was nothing about that. That was the comedian. That was like the big marquee comedian of my thing of age moment. And there was nothing about what Bane was doing that said like, oh, this is something that is for you. This is something that you should try to do. Um, and so, you know, it just never occurred to me until I started seeing more comedians who sort of um, who seemed more sort of on my level in terms of talk wanted to. I was interested in hearing about and, and the way they presented their acts and things like that um, sort of made me give it a second thought. So there was an, uh, I mean, I'm always interested in, on people's uh, influence, especially when they have uh, a, when they're 
Sorry, I'm a cis white male. Apparently, I'm everywhere. What I grew up looking at, you know, 227, the Jeffersons. Uh, I just spoke with Scott Thompson very recently uh, from Kids in the Hall and talking to him about how uh, watching somebody, even as a straight white male, watching somebody who was so outlandishly openly gay as he was as a comedian and laughing how hard. But it was it definitely had an effect on me. So I saw the world that way, you know, like growing up, I wanted to be Lucille Ball, which I've said a thousand times because um, I right. never saw a difference between what she was doing on on tv and me i never saw that gender was a difference but other people did growing up did you feel that there wasn't uh any representation for you either as uh korean or as uh asian uh or as a uh as a uh gay man is there or was there somebody that you looked at and you're like that's who my idol is yeah i mean margaret show was a huge like outlier and when I say that I did never see myself I mean her career wasn't as topping when I was sort of a teenager but I remember seeing um All American Girl for the first time when I was like seven or eight years old that was a huge moment for me because I'd never seen someone like myself uh represented on television and it's and you know I I think people sort of like scoff or roll their eyes when they hear things like that but you know it really does have an effect on you when you're a little kid like this like not, um, you know, an Asian family on television. It's, and the fact is, is like we haven't seen one since really until Fresh Off the Boat, which is sort of wild. I also remember that fucking Cinderella uh, that ABC did with Brandy and the Asian Prince. Like, those moments, like, those are some of the clearest memories I have of growing up is seeing those two pieces of entertainment, like, for the first time, because they were both moments where it was a full paradigm shift for me as a kid. And maybe that's a problem with my imagination. I don't know. There are there are plenty of kids who never saw themselves represent, you know, aspirations to do that. But, I mean, seeing those two things made me want to be an actor, made me want to be in entertainment. And, um, yeah, it was huge for me. That's great. Um yeah, I always, it's 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 interesting because I grew up in Baltimore where it's very diverse. So, like when I moved here to Boston, I was like, I've never been in, in such a white city as this place in my entire life. Like, it's my cousin came up here for two months for work, and the first thing he said to me after four days was, "Where are all the black people? This is not right." Um, so I, I find it interesting that you know because I have a, a, a unique life, and I have to find the other people that have their unique lives. So. Uh, okay, uh, I'm sure you've talked a ton about, uh, did you know, always know that you were adopted or was there a time that you found out? Yes. Okay. Cause I, I find it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it would, it, it's a pretty glaring, uh, difference. Yeah. I mean, I, as a kid, my parents, like, I knew I was adopted. I didn't necessarily know what that meant or, um, care. I mean, yeah. my parents. Um, they never really, it, it just never really made, I never felt that different within the context of my family and being homeschooled too. Like, you know, I wasn't around other kids who were constantly reminding me that I was different until later in life. So, um, you know, I, I didn't conceptualize it until I was like at a family reunion in Alabama that I really realized how different I was from the rest of my family. Uh, did you ever have like half the family treat you differently because you're Asian or adopted? Nope, not not a part of my my adoptive experience at all, um, which I feel very lucky about. Oh, I didn't know you are very lucky about that. That's awesome. Um, okay, and I think I have to jump back to one thing because I have terrible handwriting and can't read what I uh, can't follow what I do. Um, 
I was reading one of your year-end wrap-up dating blog posts uh, recently, and um, I hate to say, can you tell me more about that? Because it sounds like it's not a question. It's a command. But I found that interesting. What inspired to do that? Because obviously in the, uh, you know, in, in with gay men, there's a lot more acceptance of promiscuity than I think in the heterosexual dating world. Uh, so it's interesting that you can seemingly talk more about having uh, multiple relationships without having a depressive or um, stigmatic, is that the right word, stigmatic uh, a stigma uh, to it. Yeah, I actually, I, we don't have time to really get into it because I have Fair to enough. jump off soon. But yeah, that's fine. I, I, I challenge that, that, that idea that gay men uh, in the gay community, promiscuity is, is more accepted because it's, Definitely, especially in the last several years, I think gay men are sort of rejecting that, and uh, you get a lot of judgment within the community for representing the community poorly. I get a lot of black... I'd say my biggest online trolls are gay men uh, who (laughs) think that I'm not representing the community well. I get a lot of messages from um, to that effect of, I should stop talking about sex because uh, that's what, you know, straight people think of us already, and I'm, you know popping up a stereotype about gay men, and I'm just sort of living my life. Um, And so that is a reaction to that, in part. I think, you know, uh, neither gay nor straight people talk that openly about that sort of stuff outside of the context of entertainment. And so it's important to me. And, um, you know, when I look this year, specifically the reason I did that, it's a pretty shitty year, just wise. And I think... um, you know, looking back on the year, trying to, like, sort of summarize the important moments of my year, I sort of thought about all of those encounters and, like, just the moments of my love life in 2017. And I, um, you know, that's the way I process things now is through comedy, and that is how I chose to process my year this year was um, that. All right, cool. And uh, last thing I have for you, I ask everybody ever, you know, because I always grew up, imagining interviews as a kid and I always had that question that I want somebody to ask me and nobody ever asked me is there a question that you've always had that you've wanted someone to ask you in an interview that you've wanted to talk about you know it's crazy because you kind of did like I talk about working out and I was shocked <laughs> when you asked me that question at the top I'm like why don't people ever ask my incredible body I, was, um, I mostly did it as a, as a filler while I was uh, jotting through my notes and getting them organized well uh, in case it just the happened. best filler I've ever gotten Dennis I have to say I could talk about it for forever and okay. I'm so happy that you asked me about it Oh, well, I'm glad I made you happy, sir. I hope you uh, have a great... Are you about to head on the stage at Pottery Yeah, I'm about to, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go do that. Uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks when you are in town, and I'll drop off a print copy to you, and you can send it to your parents or burn it or do whatever you want with it. Uh, And you go kick ass on stage. I hope this was good. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Have a great day, bud. Thank you. You too.